Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. We are so happy that you have decided to join us. Hopefully, you will find the next few minutes challenging and refreshing as we consider together how God is asking us to respond to His grace. If you are listening because you are unable to join us at our physical location, thank you for keeping in step with us, and we will look forward to seeing you in person next Sunday. If you are joining us from outside of Anchorage, then please drop us a line and let us know where you are listening in from. We would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you are exploring faith for the first time or just trying to figure out what Awaken is about, please don't hesitate to drop us a line and introduce yourself. We welcome any question you might have about life, the Christian faith, or Awaken Church. May God be with you as you listen. I remember a pretty funny scene from junior high school. And the way it happened was we would get there early as students and there would be maybe 15, 20 minutes uh, during our homeroom period, which is how we started our day, where uh, we were allowed to walk the halls. And so we didn't have to be in a particular classroom. We could just walk around. There was a uh, sort of a, you know, a big square that you walked around the perimeter of the building, but inside. And what you would do is you would get with your group of friends and you'd walk the halls with your group of friends. Some of you are starting to imagine the scene. And it was very noticeable who had a group of friends and who did not. And then there were different levels of groups of friends. There was a status ladder in our junior high school. And based on the sports you played or the clothes you wore or maybe you just had an exceptional personality and you were able to jump around and up the social ladder without any of the other aids, uh, you would be slotted into one of these groups. Could you imagine a scenario like that? How many of you went to junior high? <laughs> well, I personally like the idea of being in the top group. And I worked very hard at moving up the social ladder. And by the time I was done, I was walking around with the most elite junior high, uh, junior high students at our school, Brookings Middle School. If you want to check it out, I'm sure there's a photo somewhere. Uh, I had some uh, MC Hammer pants that I liked to wear back in those days. Maybe one of my family members can find a picture at some point. So one of the things I noticed is that as I was walking with my elite group, because we were all status conscious in that group, one of the things I noticed is that we would vie for who seemed to be leading the group, as in setting the pace for the group as we walked around. Hopefully you're sort of understanding a more and more comical scenario. I remember thinking to myself, uh, that, that when I was in the front, I was feeling good because that meant I was leading the group. And then I came up with this technique, actually. Whenever I wasn't leading the group, I would slow down and I would see who I could draw back with me. I would test my social powers. And so I played this game as we walked around the hallway. 
that extended to high school, actually. Some of you uh, matured in junior high. I did not. Uh, this happened in high school, except it was different. We didn't walk the hallways. It was all about which table you sat at at lunch. We had a massive uh, cafeteria. I think my graduating class was around 500 students or so, so it was a large high school. And it was very clear how things were socially stratified, stratified by just a look around the cafeteria because you could see that things sort of improved as you made your way through the cafeteria and at the front of the cafeteria in the middle was the table. And this is where the most popular kids in high school hung out. All of the best jocks, as in most skilled jocks, and the people who are, you know, the most popular with the best personalities and all of those things, maybe the best resources, they were able to sit at that table. And I remember as a sophomore in high school being invited to come and sit at that table. That was a big moment. And I secured my position there for the next two years. Some of you matured in high school, but I did not. And it continues to this day, believe it or not. I have an appreciation for being in the top tier of social status. And my default setting is actually to try to achieve that. And I actually have to discipline myself to stay away from that. I actually have to discipline myself to, on purpose, demote myself. Because in junior high school and in high school, I develop skills that allow me to climb the social ladder. And so I have to be very careful about climbing it because of what I read in the scriptures. So we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and the Apostle Paul is addressing this issue with the Corinthians. Maybe you've never struggled with wanting the people around you to recognize how great you are. I take that back. Everybody in this room has struggled with wanting the people around you to know how great you are. Uh, this is our default as human beings. This is what we, one of the things that we wage war against. This is our natural setting to be concerned about social status, to be concerned about what other people think of us, and to pursue the things in this world that make us appear to be more powerful or higher on the social ladder or higher in the hierarchy. So the Apostle Paul is addressing this because the Corinthians are actually disappointed in the Apostle Paul. Could you imagine that? A church being disappointed in their founding pastor. They were disappointed in him because the way that he presented himself was in a very simplistic manner. And they were used to showy presentations. But the Apostle Paul came in a very simple way. 
They were also disappointed in him because people who were great teachers had patrons. They had wealthy people that would support them and pay their way and uh, would honor them. And if you, had, if you were worth your salt, you would have uh, certain patrons. You'd have the most elite people in the city would be your patrons. They would be the ones supporting you. But the Apostle Paul refused to have patrons and instead uh, was a tent maker, a leather worker. He was a, he was an artisan, and they were a little bit ashamed of him as a result because the Apostle Paul was trying to teach them something about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, in his letter, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. He wanted them to understand what it meant to be a follower of Christ. And so, In this passage that I'm about to read, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 9, uh, we are going to see the Apostle Paul make a comparison to himself and a Roman event that would happen from time to time. If you've uh, dabbled in Roman history at all, maybe you've heard of something called a Roman triumph. And this would be uh, an extraordinary celebration and parade to honor a particular person. So often, uh, for example, a general, let's, let's uh, say Pompey or Julius Caesar, they would be out in the field, they would win great battles, they would conquer nations, and they would come back with spoils of war, and they would come back with uh, all kinds of uh, captives. And this parade would include those captives and those Uh, spoils of war. And the Apostle Paul uh, makes mention or makes use of this analogy when he writes. He says, I sometimes think God has put us apostles on display like prisoners of war at the end of a victor's parade, condemned to die. We become a spectacle to the entire world, to people and angels alike. Our dedication to Christ makes us look like fools, But you claim to be so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are so powerful. You are honored, but we are ridiculed. Even now we go hungry and thirsty. We don't even have enough clothes to keep warm. We often, or we are often beaten and have no home. We work wearily with our own hands to earn our living. We bless those who curse us. We are patient with those who abuse us. We appeal gently when evil things are said about us. Yet we are treated like the world's garbage, like everybody's trash, right up to the present moment. This is not how an apostle of Jesus Christ should be treated. And certainly they could have used their apostolic authority to um, climb the social ladder. And in fact, we do see church leaders throughout history do exactly that. And we see congregations actually support that kind of rise for their spiritual leaders. But the Apostle Paul is railing against that in his letter. And he is promoting himself as an example of what Christian leadership should look like. So, uh, the first uh, point, if you will, as we uh, work through uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 5, and 6 this morning is that the church is not a place to gain status. 
The church is not a place to gain status. So uh, the church is called to be unlike the world, right? Paul's first invitation to the church, his first encouragement to the church, and one of his primary objectives in this letter to the Corinthians is that the church would be unified, that they would get on the same page, that they would remember that there is one leader that they should be following, that leader's name is Jesus, and that everybody should be fully surrendered to him, and that in all things inside the church, in their personal relationships, in everything, Jesus should be supreme. And so he's trying to bring the church uh, to a place of unity around that. And he's also trying to call the church out of the world. He's reminding them that the church is unlike anything in the world. In the world, wherever you go, whatever you're doing, you're trying to work yourself up. And in the church, you're trying to work yourself down. You are disciplining yourself to move down the social ladder. You are taking whatever skills and abilities and resources you have and you're using them to lift other people up rather than using them to lift yourself up. And so the church is not a place to gain status. The church is a place to lose your status. So this makes people uncomfortable because this goes against every fiber of our bodies. This is very difficult for us to do, but what we are called to do. So, welcome to somebody else's parade. There are several times in Scripture where we are encouraged to spend our lives considering how we can build other people Never in the scriptures are we asked to consider how we might promote ourselves. Not once. It is either allow God to promote you, or better yet, just focus on promoting other people and see what God will do with that. So the church is not a place to gain status. The church is a place to lose your status. So whatever status you walked in the room with this morning, I'm sorry, you just lost it. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 9. Um, Paul writes... When I wrote you before, because this is not actually the first letter to the Corinthians, uh, there's something that uh, scholars, because of this verse and others, refer to as Corinthians A. And basically, it's a guess at what was included in the actual first letter to the Corinthians. And there may have been multiple first Corinthians. This is just the first one we have access to. So he says, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. 
It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. That's a quote from one of the Old Testament scriptures where uh, God is putting the responsibility of keeping the community pure on the community. So, the church is not a place to gain status, but rather to lose status, and the church is not a place to get comfortable. Hopefully your seats are comfortable this morning. But the church is not a place to get comfortable. Um, the church at Corinth has done something that is shameful in the sexual arena uh, not just in the eyes of the church, but also in the eyes of culture at large. Uh, there was all kinds of irony and hypocrisy in terms of how Greek and Roman culture handled sexuality, but uh, you know, there are all kinds of things that were not taboo sexually. Uh, but one of the things that was taboo was for a man to have intercourse with his father's wife or wives, whether it was his mother or not. And this thing was happening within the church body in Corinth, and it was known, it was not kept secret, and the Corinthians were taking pride over the fact that they were accepting of this thing. Could you imagine a situation where a church or a church body took pride in accepting sexual immorality? Could you imagine a situation? Now this happened some 2,000 years ago, but could you imagine it happening in our day? I think it's quite easy to imagine. The church is not a place to get comfortable. And that is what has happened in the church at Corinth. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to shake the church up about. He gets quite intense about how this situation should be handled, that there should be a meeting, a gathering of the church, and that together they should expel this member, because this person was claiming to be a follower of Christ, while at the same time clearly violating God's law, and then having it celebrated by the church. So, whew, this could be heavy, uh, because church has changed a lot in the intervening 2,000 years. And so we have a lot of different things going on in this room, for example. Um, one way to read the scripture is that Paul is advocating a sort of witch hunt and that the church should set up a judgment council and sort of walk through everybody's lives 
and if there's sin there and that person refuses to repent, then they should be expelled. The church has actually tried that before. It was called the Inquisitions. And hopefully the church learned that that's not the best approach. Uh, These days, we make sure that whenever we have a public gathering, we make sure that everybody is welcome because everybody is welcome to receive the invitations of God, to receive the salvation that is offered in Jesus. And our, part of our goal, part of our role and purpose as a church is to remove as many obstacles between people making that decision to surrender their lives to Jesus as possible. And so we do everything that we can to remove obstacles, remove obstacles so that people are able to have free and easy access to the message, the good news of Jesus Christ. But then there's this thing where, as Christians, we encourage each other to respond to God's grace. And so James, for example, writes that our faith without works is dead. In other words, if, we, if there's not a response in the way that we are living, then something went terribly wrong in our understanding, in our, in our understanding of faith and in our coming to Jesus. If there's no response in the way that we're living, then something went terribly wrong in the way that we understand what God has done on our behalf. And so we form a community of encouragement around that. Uh, We form a community of accountability around that. And we say that if you are going to say you're a Christian, then you ought to act like a Christian. You might struggle with this idea of judging other people because maybe you've heard it said that we should not judge one another. And I'm going to actually read you where Jesus says that. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Jesus says, do not judge others and you will not be judged. So doesn't that contradict what the Apostle Paul just said? For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Well, this is why context is important. Because Jesus is dealing with an entirely different situation than the Apostle Paul is dealing with. Jesus is dealing with a situation where Pharisees are getting into craziness in terms of interpreting the detail of the law. And they are adding rules and regulations on and they are policing the people around them to make sure that they are following all of the rules and regulations, some of which they don't even know about. And Jesus is calling them out as the hypocrites that they are, that they're not dealing with the sin in their own life because they're so concerned with the potential sin in other people's lives. And in that context, we should not judge. But the Apostle Paul is dealing with an entirely different context. 
He is dealing with a situation where somebody is saying, I am a Christian. I follow Jesus. And at the same time, I live any way that I want. And so we see that the reality is revealed, that this person is not following Jesus. They are following the way of their own heart. They are fulfilling their own evil desires. They are trampling on the grace of God. They are doing exactly the opposite of, or they are doing what Paul tells us not to do, and that is to use our freedom in Christ to indulge our sinful desires. And so in that setting, in that situation, it is the responsibility of the community. Not just me, because sometimes people tattletale. Did you know that in the church? People tattletale. And they come and they say, did you know that this person was doing that? And to some degree, that's fine. Part of my charge is to help in those situations. But it's everybody in the community's responsibility, and that's why Paul wants the entire church of Corinth to meet together, to together expel this person who was doing these things in this proud manner. But it is all of our responsibilities to have these conversations with our friends who say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus. I am a believer. But when we see in their lifestyle things that are clearly reprehensible before God. And so the church is not a place to get comfortable. Who loves awkward? (laughs) And these are always awkward conversations. I tend to avoid awkward conversations, and I tend to avoid my friends who like awkward conversations. But this is part of what the church is about. It's not a place to get comfortable. It is a a place to consider how we might spur one another on towards good works, and sometimes that includes an awkward conversation. Paul goes on to write in chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Don't you realize that Those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. These are all things, by the way, that the culture of Corinth was famous for. Some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, a reference to freedom in Christ, I must not become a slave to anything. You say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is a, uh, a reference to a philosophy of if it feels good, do it. This is true, Paul says, though someday God will do away with both of them. 
But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And so in those days, uh, there was a, this philosophy that as long as your spiritual life was sort of in the right place, then whatever you did in your physical life had no bearing on your spiritual life, that there was not a connection between the two. And the Apostle Paul is doing his best to make it quite clear that there is a significant connection between the two. And that what we do in our physical lives has a significant impact on what happens in our spiritual lives. So the church is not a place to separate spiritual inspiration from day-to-day living. And so we talk a lot about um, what matter or what happens in here is meaningless unless what happens in here translates to Monday through Saturday. Uh, specifically on the sexual immorality thing, in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, later on in verse 18, Paul writes, Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Later on, or in another part, Paul talks about uh, the issue with prostitution, which was a common thing. In those days, men and women, everybody involved in sexual practices outside of marriage. But he talks about how uh, when you are engaging in sexually immoral things because you are a follower of Christ, you are bringing Christ into those scenarios. There is something about uh, the sexual experience that has a spiritual element to it. Many people have tried to describe the interaction, describe the, the facet of sex that is spiritual. So, some questions around this. Because this issue didn't die 2,000 years ago with Paul's writing to the First Corinthians. People continue to struggle around the area of sexuality. Christians continue to struggle with this issue. So, I'm going to start with women. I don't know if you figured this out or not, but in most cases, sexual immorality includes women. Like, they're part of it. And so, what is it that would cause a woman to be sexual sexually immoral? Is it a searching for value in the wrong place? Is it a searching to be affirmed in the wrong place? I think that's part of it. Obviously, there's physical attraction on both the male and the female side. But where are you looking for value and affirmation and affection? Are you willing to find all of those things 
in God, to seek him first and trust that all these things will be added unto you. Men, there's motivation for us in a variety of ways to be sexually immoral. Uh, Often beyond just physical attraction and pleasure, uh, there's the power element, the power respect element. Are we willing to surrender ourselves? Are we willing to surrender our power to God? Are we willing to discipline ourselves? Um, It's a a difficult thing because sexual sin is such a significant part of our daily lives. Uh, For men, images are everywhere. And for the most part, it is okay for men to be sexually immoral. Not in this room, but outside this room, it's very okay in our culture for men to be sexually immoral. The church is not a place to separate spiritual inspiration from day-to-day living. What we do with our physical bodies has a significant impact on our spiritual lives. And so, as a church, we encourage each other to move away from those things in our culture. We remind each other. that we have been cleansed, that we have been made holy, that we have been made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so we enter into spiritual disciplines, men and women. We enter into spiritual disciplines that guide us to a place of freedom. We confess because in confession we are made right and we are cleansed and we are transformed. And so we enter into these things because we want to be different. We want our physical lives to match what is going on in our spiritual lives. (laughs) Sometimes when I'm preparing sermons, I'm in the middle of a thought and I feel like maybe I need to interact with somebody and so I blurt out questions. My wife often receives these and I was just thinking through this and I just blurted out to my wife, so what makes women fall into sexual sin? And she said, what are you preaching on? (laughs) Um, Worship team, if you guys wanna uh, come. I'm gonna ask you guys to uh, think about your day-to-day life. Think about the way you're living outside of inspiring moments. When we gather together and uh, celebrate what God has done and look forward to what he will do, how do we live day-to-day? Uh, maybe you've heard the, uh, the axiom 
uh, for Christians in, in terms of how to, how to do this, that we should be in the world but not of the world. And so the question for us is, how are we doing on that? How are we doing for being in the world but not of the world? Let's just go through a list of things as you're reflecting. Um, social media. What kinds of things are we looking at on social media? I have a very difficult time with social media for a variety of reasons, but one of the reasons is that as soon as I get on there, there are images that just start coming. And so that just puts me in a place where the battle just becomes that much more difficult. How are we doing on social media? How are we doing, and that's, this is men and women, right? We're, we're, men are supposedly more visual, and we probably are, but women are visual as well. How are we being affected by the images that we see? The movies that we watch, the games that we play, the way that we interact, like Job, are we making a covenant with our eyes to look only where God has given us to look? Is our spiritual life being advanced by what we do in our day-to-day life? Or is our spirit crying out for us to align ourselves with what God has for us? What spiritual disciplines do we need to enter into in order to gain freedom? Who is a trusted person in our life that we might sit with and just confess and admit that we're weak? Where in your day-to-day life do you need to demote yourself? Do you need to stop worrying about gaining status, moving up the social ladder, and instead demote yourself and worry about advancing the people around you. By the way, if we worry about advancing the people around us more than anything else, that will pretty much take care of sexual sin. Something to consider. Join me in prayer. Father, we ask that you would make us a holy community. It's only by your power that we are transformed, so we confess that it's so easy to fall into uh, the trap set for us in the world. It's so easy for us to fall into the patterns of the people around us, so we just pray that you uh, would, would call us to holiness, to uniqueness, to be set apart from our world, that you would transform our our minds in such a way that we are able to live honorable lives. We know all things are possible with, with you, and so we pray in faith that this would be true. In your name, Lord, amen. Thank you again for listening. It is a joy to be able to share God's truth with you. Hopefully you found this teaching helpful to your understanding of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's world, and hopefully you are inspired to take a further step of faith. 
please let us know how we can be praying for you as you continue your journey. If you live in the Anchorage area, you are welcome to join us any Sunday. And we have an Awaken 101 event every six weeks, and this is also a great way to find out more about our church. Please sign up for that event by going to the events tab at our website, awakenalaska.com, and looking for Awaken 101. Feel free to share this podcast with your friends, and we will see you next week.